in the history of all the world. And Purpose Driven Life is the number two bestseller in the history of all the world forever and ever. Uh, unless some other book comes along to surpass it. Highly doubt that will happen. It may happen. And uh, as you know, we've been looking at what Rick Warren uh, has defined as the, the kind of melted down from Scripture, the five purposes of, of, of God for all of our lives. How many of you know God created us with divine purpose? Look at somebody next to you and say, you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You really are. I'm not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Uh, in fact, this is not in your notes, but, uh, you know, kind of our keynote verse is Ephesians 1.11 Uh, It says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. And so we learn from scripture and I think that's the the, uh, message. I'm not sure, I think that's the paraphrase, the message, but... Christ had his eye on us. Before we were ever a twinkle in our daddy's eye, God created us, amen. He had designs on us for glorious living. I love that. You know, see, God didn't create you to just punish you or to tease you. He has a design for your life, and it's for glorious, godly living. Uh, And so that's what we've been talking about. So here are the five purposes that we've uh, identified, that Rick Warren has identified. We're created to worship. We talked about that already. We're created to bring God pleasure. When some people say worship, they have this mindset of, oh, that's the song service. We didn't have worship tonight. Well, we did because we're bringing God pleasure. You don't necessarily have to have a song service to worship God. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth tonight? It's really a way of life, a lifestyle of bringing pleasure and glory and honor to God. We're created to worship. Number two, we're created to fellowship. You see, God didn't call you just to believe. Uh, Don't read that yet. Put that back. Put that back. I'm just giving intro. There you go. Uh, God didn't call us just to believe. He called us to belong. And in fact, one of the Ephesians passages says, uh, uh, we belong in God's household with every every other Christian. And so uh, we're called to fellowship and be a part of the body of Christ. We talked about that last Wednesday night. Tonight we're going to talk about we're called and created to become like Christ or to grow in Christ or become his disciples. And we'll talk about that. The fourth one, which we'll talk about next Wednesday, is we're created by God to serve. Did you know even Jesus came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many? That ought to be the mindset and the motivation of all of us. You know, even if we're the head over a thousand people in a great corporation or, or the, uh, the leader of some, you know, great ministry, we're still there serving God and serving others in that leadership role. How many of you know leadership is really a servant role? Amen. And so we'll talk about that again, that God created us to serve God and to serve others. And then our last, <coughs> pardon me, our last Wednesday night, uh, which Brother Trent, where's Trent? Trent, so he, he went upstairs with the young people. Trent will be sharing the last one. We're created, we're called by God to influence our world for Christ. You know, I see in the back, back uh, uh, on the third row, I see Mestia and Ashley. Mestia and Ashley work together. Mestia is a member of our church and been a member and a faithful participant for a long time. They are work associates. And uh, uh, not too long ago, I don't know, Mestia and, and Ashley, Mestia asked Ashley to come to church. And long story short, uh, now Ashley's almost more faithful to church than me. I'm telling you, she's here and she's growing in Christ. But what happened? Uh, she was influenced by 
her friend. And, and Trent will be sharing with us the last Wednesday of the month because I'll be at a missions pastors conference in, in uh, where is, mm, up north, north of Tech, northeast Missouri. I think it's Missouri. Might be Arkansas. I can't remember. It's up there somewhere. Uh, and I'll be on my way there. So Trent will be finishing up this series on, on the five purposes. And I want to encourage you to plug into all of them. And let me say this to you as well. I have been rereading The Purpose Driven Life. If you've never read it, you need to go get a book, get, get the book. And you can get a strategy going. You can wait till the first of the month if you'd like because it's, it's a 40-day devotional type. You will read a day and you'll go, hmm, I think I want to read it another day. But you just take your time and just digest every day. And, and, uh, and you will discover, uh, uh, oh, so much more than I can share with you on a, just a 30 or 45-minute session here on Wednesday night. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, there's, there must be something right in, the, in a book that's the second bestseller in the history of the world. So it's a great book, and, it, and it's timeless. I'm rereading it, and I find, you know, there's some things I see in there. Ooh, that's great preaching material. But then I realize... Well, there's a whole lot of people read this book, so I'll, I can't really preach this without saying, let me share a message that Rick Warren once shared. Uh, so I don't do that too much, except in this context. And so, because we're going through these purposes, uh, which I think is so important for all of us. Tonight, we're created by God to grow in Christ. Amen. We're not, just, we're not meant to just sit, soak, and sour. God, when he gave birth to us, or when we were born again, we were created to become like Christ. Amen. And how many of you know that's a, that's a process? Here's the freebie verse I'm going to give you tonight. Uh, in fact, I gave it to you prematurely, and I saw everybody reading it. And so I said, get it off. It's from the message, too. And it just kind of helps us understand that we're created to be like Christ. Romans 8, 29, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Do you believe that? Amen. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as those of his son. Did you pick that up? In other words, we're created by God to be like his son, Jesus. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And so when we look to Christ, we look at the process of God and it's his desire and his design for us to be made into the image of Christ. Amen. How many of you know uh, uh, we've got a long way to go? Amen. But, you know, he's not making us into Christ, but he's making us. His desire is for us to become more and more like him. And until we see him face to face, we will be in this process of becoming like Christ. And it's so important for us to embrace this as the purpose of God for our life. I find it sad that most Christians do not catch this understanding that uh, one of the real purposes of God for their life is to grow spiritually. They think spiritual growth is just something that just kind of naturally happens. You know, uh, I've got two little grandsons, and I've learned something, especially with the, with the newest one, Josiah. He's not just going to naturally grow. He needs his mother's attention. He needs food. He needs, he needs help on every area. Uh, and uh, as he grows up, uh, he doesn't need near as much help. He becomes a little more independent and self-sufficient. But there still is a process of growth in his body, in his mind, in his spirit. 
And all of us, God has created us to grow and mature and become more like him. We, we, most people don't take that seriously. They just think somehow one of these days it'll happen. And I ask people this question a lot. I say, what, what plan do you have, you have in place in your life? What strategy have you put together, maybe even put on paper, for your spiritual growth and maturity? You know, what, what's, what's, what's the strategy you got working? And most of them, well, uh, hmm. Well, man, I come to church every once in a while. Uh, you know, like, oh, man, I work a lot. Uh, and really don't think about the reality that uh, one of the real purposes of God for our life is to become more and more like him. Now, I'm going to give you a big word here. It's called sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. I'm going to give you another big word, justification. Everyone say justification. When you give your life to Christ, when you become a child of God, when you confess him as the Lord and the leader of, of, of uh, your life, he then automatically justifies you. And that some people say justification is just as if I'd never sinned. How many of you like that? You see, we were born in sin, and, and in sin our mother conceived us. We're natural born sinners, but Jesus, that's why Jesus came. And so when we're born again, we're justified. And when we become justified, then we begin a, and that's instantaneous. Amen? How many of you appreciate that you don't have to work your way into right relationship with God? He did all the work for us. But there's another process that begins at the moment of justification, and that is this process of sanctification, of becoming holy and righteous and more and more like God. And it is a process. And it will never be completed until we see him face to face. And the Bible says when we see him face to face, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. Whoo, somebody say amen. Now, until then, our, our, the process of becoming more like Christ, of which we're all called and created to be, it's a process. And it, it is this. It's a cooperative effort between us and God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. In other words, uh, you, didn't, you, didn't earn, and, and you didn't earn justification, did you? You didn't pay anything for it. You just, you just came to Christ in faith and submitted and yielded your life to him. Uh, and you can't pay anything to be just automatically sa- sanctified, but you do have to cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit and God working in your life. Did you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Turn over there. 2 Corinthians 3 uh, says this, verse 18. Uh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. I need to get to the 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Uh, it says, but we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Someone say transformed. We are being. Everyone say we are being. We are being transformed. There, You see the process there? Did you see the process? We are being transformed into the same image, the same image of who? Of Jesus. From glory to glory. In other words, that word glory, some could say in this particular um, um, uh, verse means from level to level. In other words, there's, there's levels that we attain to in our spiritual maturity in this process of transformation. And look at this part, because this is the cooperative, cooperative effort, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, how many of you know sanctification is never going to happen without the help of the Holy Spirit in our life? 
How many have ever said, I'll never do that again? And you just, by sheer will, you said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that. You know, in fact, Colossians says, all these rules that we put, don't touch, don't taste, don't, don't do this, don't do that. They all sound real spiritual, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, this process is a cooperative effort between us and God, between us and the Holy Spirit to, to help us become more and more like Christ. This word changed. Uh, uh, it says when we behold him, we are changed or transformed is the, is the New, New King James Version. Uh, but the Greek word is metamorpho, I think is actually how it says. Everyone say metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Meaning, be, be, anybody remember what metamorphosis is? Anybody ever get a little ugly caterpillar and let it eventually become a beautiful what? Butterfly. That's the process of what? Metamorphosis, taking something from our, for our illustration, something ugly and of seeming no value and transforming it miraculously into this beautiful uh, butterfly. That's what the Bible says. That's the word that, that this describes this process in our life of sanctification. How many of you are still more on the caterpillar side of life? <laughs> I'm a little more on the caterpillar side of life. And ultimately, I'll never be all of what God wants me to be, as I said, until we meet Christ. But it's a process, and it is a cooperative effort. I want to show you a couple of verses that, that really help us understand the cooperative effort of this process of becoming more like Christ. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're in Corinthians, you can just keep taking a right, just a little one. Ephesians 4. Uh, and without getting too deep into Ephesians, I mean, I love it. It's kind of broken up into two sides, kind of. The first three chapters have to do with all that Christ has done for us. And then the last three kind of have to do a lot with how we cooperate with what Christ has done. You can kind of look at that later. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, uh, uh, we can start in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, someone say put off, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." Now, do you see the partnership here? Just because we, we are justified does not make us automatically sanctified. And Paul begins to give instructions to this church. Uh, he says, now, let me give you your part. It's like God has done his part. You know, if, gosh, if I had time, we could go back and, you know, Ephesians 1, 3, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Uh, 1, 5, he's predestined us to adoption as sons in Christ. And, uh, you know, chapter 2, God is riches in mercy because of his great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he, I mean, all the things God has done. And now he's getting down. But let me tell you your part in all of this. Let me tell you what you're going to have to do. He says, put off the, these things that are of the former life. Everyone say, put them off. I love what the message says from about verse 22. Everything connected with that old way of life has to go. <laughs> I like that. He goes on, it is rotten through and through. Get rid of it. 
Some of y'all need to get the message and just read that a little bit. It kind of gets it down on your level. Everything connected to that former life has got to go. That old way of life, it has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. What's he saying? There's some things we just got to put it off. We got to, that's our part. It's the process. And so what we want to embrace and in, in, in even looking at these passages is, hey, there's some things God wants me to do to be more and more like him. It's not just going to happen by the Holy Spirit coming with his Tinkerbell wand and hitting it on our head and go, ta-ting, and all of a sudden we're, oh, I have become like Christ. That won't happen until we meet him face to face. And then he says, be renewed, what, in the spirit of your mind. In other words, and you know what? This renewed, this, that's kind of the same word, I think. I'd have to look it up as the one we read a moment ago, transformed. Be transformed, renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, the, if we're going to, <clears throat> let's just use an illustration here. Uh, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. You just by your sheer willpower, you say, I'm not going to do it. But everything on the inside of you still wants to do it, right? But you're going, I'm not going to do it. What Paul's saying is, you've got to change the way you think about this thing. You've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Same word, metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, sanctification has a whole lot to do with what we began to remove out of our life and how we began to reprogram how we think about God and about our future and about everything around us and change the way we think. In fact, did you know the word repent? Everyone say repent. The Greek word repent means to, to really change the way you think. Most people think repent means this, I'm so sorry, God. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to do it. You know? And you know what? That, we have that picture, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when, when Jesus said repent and come and follow me, he's talking about change the way you think about life and the way you think about me. Change the way you think. And so sanctification and becoming more like Christ, it's a cooperative effort. And Paul said, hey, you're going to have to get, be a part of this. You're going to have to put off. Everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It is rotten through and through. Get rid of it. I had a friend of mine years ago. Uh, back, that's back when we had albums, even before eight tracks. Anybody here old enough to remember eight tracks? Two people, three, four, five. I got five eight trackers here. Uh, but it was out. Was it albums and then eight tracks and then cassettes and then DVDs, and now where have they got, not DVD, yeah, CDs, and now CDs are becoming, it's just, amen. In fact, you can buy, what is, what's the little thing at Walmart? It's like the, like a quarter, a square quarter that holds 97 million songs on it now or something. It, 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 you know, but back when I was growing, it was albums, and I had a friend of mine who had all these really bad albums. He got born again, and there was, back then, they were like gold, they, you know, and he, he, he burned them. I say thousands, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of albums. He burned them. And in my, in my little finance brain, I'm going, I might could have sold those things, you know. But he said, hey, I'm putting it off. That's the old me. I, I'm getting rid of it. It's rotten to the core. 
and, and I'm getting rid of it. And so that's something he did that he felt he had to do. And he began to change the way he thought. And then, then Paul says, okay, here's something else you got to do. It's not just putting things off and be renewed in thinking, uh, but you got to put on. Look what he says, verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which is created, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, embrace the new you and say, man, this is who I am now. This is what I, I don't do that anymore. In fact, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we, we can do more than say nope to dope, man. We, we, we can just say, hey, that stuff doesn't control me anymore. I've got a new man. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become, to, become new. So embrace this scripture tonight and just say, hey, you know what? There's some things I need to do in my life to become more like Christ. Amen. You getting it? If you're getting it, look at me. I'm, I'm getting it. All right, look at your neighbor and say, are you getting it? You getting it? Okay. Let me give you another one. This is a great one right here. Uh, um, Before I get it, let me just say about this right here, about this process. This takes real commitment. How many of you know putting off, being renewed, and putting on takes real commitment? And you know what? You know what? Sanctification is a commitment. It's not just a maybe so, maybe not. It's a real commitment that begins with some choices. You see, putting off is a choice. Being renewed in the way you think is a choice. Putting on the new man and, and, and responding to the, the word of God about what he says you are. It's all a choice. And I think of some of the early disciples. I think of Matthew. I think it's in Matthew 9, verse 9, where he met Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me. And the Bible says he just began to follow him. He made a choice. He began to follow God. He said, I'm making some, some strong choices in my life that, that instigate, if you will, the, the process of sanctification. Amen. Some people think, man, I wish I couldn't do that. I wish I couldn't. I, I, I don't want to do that. But uh, you know what? It, come, it comes down to choices that we make. And so, so uh, choices are the beginning ground for real commitment. Uh, and that, man... Ephesians 4, through 24 is some real hard choices that will put us on the path towards being more and more like Christ. The next verse is uh, Philippians chapter 2. Turn over there. Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. You know, I used to have a little problem with this until I kind of figured it out a little bit. Because you, you read some words and you go, hmm, that makes me think this. But look what Paul, now we're talking about the cooperative effort of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is a phenomenal verse about the cooperative effort of becoming more and more like Christ. Now, here's the, ver- here's the passage that used to kind of undermine me a little bit in my faith until I learned what it really meant. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, uh, and almost, you think of salvation, you, you, you could in- maybe interpret that as, I got to work on being saved? It's not what it means. In fact, the word salvation here doesn't, doesn't really uh, refer to the, what we might call the born-again experience. It, it, in fact, this is key word, work out. Anybody here work out? I don't have my hand up. Anybody here work out? Come on, Trent. I know you work out. Okay, work out. Now, what's he working out for? 
What's Trent working out for? To get a body? No, he has a body. We don't work out, I'm going to go work out so I can get a body. No, we already have a body. He, he works out to strengthen what he already has. And this verse here is saying, hey, the salvation we already have, we got to work on it. We got to work out our salvation. Oh, and here's a big part with fear and trembling. How many of you know, that sounds like we need to take that very seriously. Our spiritual growth and becoming more like Christ and this working out uh, uh, in our, in fact, um, uh, is it James? James talks about, I think it's James, about the exercise of godliness, spiritual exercise. He says bodily exercise profits a little, but the exercise of godliness profits you in all things. So here's Paul telling us we need to work out on our salvation, on our walk with God, with fear and trembling. We need to take it seriously. Our spiritual growth and our becoming more and more like Christ seriously with fear and trembling. Amen. You get it? Everybody say, I got it. Then look at the, the next verse. And I love this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we're working out. He's working in. Amen. And I'm convinced, and this is just, this is Pastor Sam's footnote here. Pastor Sam's about half convinced the more we work out, the more he works in. I bet I could prove that if I tried it a little more. If we don't work out, he can't work in. Why? It's a co- we're not cooperating with what he wants to work in us. And there's some things, ooh, I'm preaching here on teaching now. There's some things he wants to work in us that he'll never work in us till we work out. Wow. I'm, I'm about to preach that on Sunday morning. That's I'm pretty good. Amen. And again, let me just say, so as to not think, y'all to think that Pastor Sam's just, just amazingly sharp here. It's in the book. I just read it in the book. Wow, that's pretty good stuff for just reading a book. Oh, man, maybe I'll try that. It's phenomenal. Okay? All right. So, there you go. Uh, Our part is to work out. His part is to work in us. Amen. Now, the part where I just threw in there, that's not Rick Horn. That's just me. I got a feeling. He didn't say it. I just have a feeling. The more we work out, the more he works in. We don't work out. He can't work in us. All right. Here we go. So, so that's, I, I wanted you to catch that about the cooperative effort and the fact that, that just because we've been justified does not guarantee that we'll be sanctified. Uh, it's a process. And we got to work on it. We got to put off. We got to be renewed. We got to put on. Uh, and so, now let me shift gears a little bit just to kind of give you an, uh, uh, another real angle on this process of becoming more like Christ. I want to talk to you about being transformed or metamorphosized, if that's a word, by truth, okay? By the power, <coughs> pardon me, by the power of God's word. Turn to John chapter 8. And if you, let me just say, we're going to talk about memorizing the word a little bit tonight, but. If you would like something to meditate on and memorize, this would be one power-packed verse, a couple of verses for you to embrace in your life, to become keynote verses in your life in this process of becoming more and more like Christ. And it says this in verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, in other words, he's talking about people who have 
put their trust in Christ. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Oh, what revelation truth that is. If you, ab- now, what, let me pause, stop, put a pause on it, look up. What are we talking about tonight? Becoming his disciples. Becoming more like Christ. Being transformed into his image. To look like him. And here Jesus shows up with radical transforming truth. If you abide, live, abide in my word, you are my disciples. And not just my disciples, but truly, verily, yea, indeed, that's what really validates you becoming more and what really uh, uh, instigates the transforming process of God in our life transformed by the truth. Look at the second verse. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. Amen. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And I appreciate, Ike, I didn't look at this verse, John 17, 17. We can back up. Sanctify them in your what? Your word is? Jesus was praying that. That John 17 is the prayer of Jesus. I should have flip-flopped them because uh, that's the natural progression. Jesus, before he left planet Earth, he was praying for us in John 17. And he said, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, make them righteous, make them like me, like me by your truth, for your word is truth. And then Jesus comes along and says in John 8, he says, let them abide in me. Abide in my word, and they're my disciples indeed. So tonight, I'm going to give you some things that if, if we learn to abide in Christ, and by the way, if you've got your, your uh, Purpose Driven Life book, this is where I wanted to read out of page 186, man, because he just gave like a big paragraph of all the things the Word of God does for us. And I just, whoo, man, it got me revved up about the power of his word. His word is not just a history lesson. It's a lie. In fact, the Bible says it is a, it's alive. It's spiritual food, and it is alive, and it has the power uh, uh, to help us grow and become more like Christ and to keep the devil off our back and keep the Spirit of God moving in our life. Just the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews says. So, so uh, this powerful truth about the Word of truth. But let me give you three thoughts here tonight, and I'll expand on some about about what it's going to take and the activity of someone who's letting the Word of God abide in their life uh, and abiding in the Word of God, these, it's going to require some things. Here's the first one. It's going to require that we accept its authority. If you're going to abide in God's Word, you've got to accept its final authority in your life. It's what does, the, everyone say, what does the Bible say? You know, it's got to become the final authority in our life. Many people, most people, a lot of Christians, though they say they believe the word, they do not build their life upon the authority of God's word. And they, and in fact, if you study Jesus and his dealings with the religious people of the day, they were they had to twist the word to help it in to 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 keep it from contradicting their lifestyle. And you know what? I heard someone say this years ago. Uh, you know, he said, you know, you hear religious people go, no, 
let us open our, the Scriptures, and let us examine the Scriptures. We're going to examine the Scriptures. And I don't remember where I heard this. He said, you know what? That just kind of grinds me wrong. What we need to be doing is opening the Scriptures and let the, let the Scriptures examine us. Hello? Let the script become the final authority in our life. You know, sadly, most people look to different arenas in this life and, 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 and make choices and decisions on faulty authority. Let me give you some faulty authority. You want to know some? That people make life-changing, history-altering decisions on something other than what does the Bible say. Everyone say, what does the Bible say? You know, when you're making, hey, listen, don't, don't make life-changing decisions and, and, and live your life under the authority of culture, the culture of our day. You know what the culture, you know what the culture of our day might say? Well, well, everybody's doing it. This is just the way it is today. Everybody's doing it. How many of you know that's a faulty authority? You can't build your life. But hey, if you, want to, if you want to be transformed, become like Jesus, you can't build your life on the culture of the day. And let me just say, we got a lot of good, strong, young adults here. Let me just say, there is a powerful culture undertow in your world that says it's okay to be this way because everybody's doing it. Look, we're going to church. We're having fun, but we're doing this and that. It's okay. God understands. It's just the world we live in. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. Faulty authority. And if we're going to be transformed by truth, we've got to put the Word of God as the final authority in our life. I had an il- illustration. Uh, uh, gosh, it was, a, it was a bad marriage. This was years ago in my other church. It was a bad marriage. But there was no biblical precedence for divorce. No biblical precedence. And I would count, and, this, this, and, and everything in me wanted to say, you need to leave that old rascal. But I'd look at, and, and, and mercy and compassion would just be poured out uh, from all sides. And, you know, let me just say, I've seen this happen more than not, especially when it comes with women and they have a bad marriage. They gang up in, in the office with a bunch of other women who all have bad marriages, and they all talk about their old men. They let culture determine what they need to do. And when I, by the time I got in the middle of it, I said, I understand. That breaks my heart. But what does the Bible say? And we'd talk on some more. And, the, and oh, it's just terrible. And I, I just can't. But wait a minute. What does the Bible say? You see, we can't let culture be the final authority in our life. Here's another faulty foundation a lot of people uh, uh, make choice. It's not just culture, but tradition. This traditions of men or the traditions of, you know, well, that's just the way we've always done it. This is the way my daddy did it. This is the way my uncle did it. This is the way my daddy's daddy did it. This is the way we did it. Uh, but how many of you know the way a bunch of people have done it doesn't make it right? In fact, some of us may need to break some of those habits of tradition that our families have put on us because it's, it's not based upon what thus saith the Lord. Amen. Here's another faulty foundation people use as the authority in their life. It's reason. Oh, the power of reason. How many of you know this thing up here can hurt us or help us? 
It can hurt you or help you. Your thought life can, can, can help you or it can hurt you. But our reasoning, well, it seems logical. That seems like what I ought to do. Uh, you know, gosh, it seems like the right thing to do because of the circumstances and situations around me. But how many of you know, Proverbs says this, Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And what is it, Proverbs 3 or Proverbs 7, lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and let him direct your path. And so, hey, if we're going to be transformed by truth, we've got to, we've got to let the word of God be the core foundation of our life. What does the Bible say? Amen. Everyone say, what does the Bible say? Here's another one. I'll throw it out and we'll move on. Uh, it's, it, they, they make choices based on emotion. And it felt right. How many of you know to some people, molesting a child feels right? Didn't make it right, though, did it? Well, it just feels the right. Pastor, I just, I'm sorry, but I love this other woman. So? Well, my wife doesn't love me. So? What is that? What does the Bible say? Yeah, but it just feels so right. How many of you know we don't walk by how we feel? We walk by faith. And so, hey, transformed by truth requires us to accept God's word as final authority in our life. What does the Bible say? And let me just say to you that the word of God is not silent on about 99% of the things in life. You say, well... But, but uh, what school does God want me to go to? He, there's nothing in here about, you know, college. Uh, but there is a lot of things in here about, hey, uh, uh, yielding ourselves to him and letting him speak to us. And, you know, a lot of things in the word of God helps us determine and make decisions and choices based on a biblical precedent. So everyone say, accept God's word as final authority. The second one is this. We must assimilate its truth in our life. Cause it to begin to, to permeate our being. You know, most I've had this many times. People call me, Pastor, uh, what's, where's that scripture about uh, uh, divorce? Where's that scripture about divorce? Pastor, where's that scripture about uh, fasting you were talking about? Where's that scripture? And, you know, and I'll do my best to help. But let me just say, that's not the best method of assimilating God's truth into your life is just having some, someone feed, spoon feed you things as you need them. Uh, uh, and so we teach this in our, in our Connect class, which, by the way, everybody needs to go through, and you can do it online. Uh, uh, on about, we talk about how to get a firm grip on God's Word, and here's five things I'm going to give them to you that you and I need to embrace. They're all biblical directives about the Word of God being assimilated into our life and become part of the fabric of our life. Everyone say, hear the word. The first one is hear the word. In fact, what does, where does faith come from? Hearing the word. And how many of you know uh, that, that faith pleases God? Uh, without faith, it's impossible. I mean, so everything kind of rests upon our ability to hear what the Bible says, and it builds faith in our life so we can have victory in life and become more and more like Christ and trust him. We've got to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. In fact, there's a, there, there's a number of scriptures that said there's a lot of people who have ears to hear, but they cannot hear. 
I've talked to some people who didn't want my help. They just wanted to upchuck on me. And when I start trying to help, I could tell they're not listening. They're not catching it. You know, let me give you this. I told someone here not too awfully long ago, let me tell you, I woke up in the middle of the night. I knew I was meeting with you. And I woke up in the middle of the night. And I'm telling you what God spoke to me this morning. When I woke up early in the morning, this is what God spoke to me about you. Are you ready? Are you listening? This is how I said, because you got to get this. This is God's word. I said, here's, here's what the Lord spoke to me about your circumstances, your situation. I said, let me ask you, would you agree that what you did was stupid? And they said, yes, it was very stupid. Okay, this is what God spoke to me. You can't fix stupid with stupid. Did you catch that? I mean, tell you, that's what God spoke to me about. You can't fix stupid with stupid. Okay, did you get it? Got it, I got it, got it. Went out that, that night and did something real stupid. Trying to fix stupid with stupid. Now, understand something about our What were they not doing? Hearing. And so we've got to open our ears to hear what God. Most people only hear what they want to hear. Oh, they only want to hear what they want to hear. You know, when I do, and I don't do marriage counseling much, I do my best, but I, you know, uh, it's, and when I have both of them there together, I'll, I'll say, okay, let, boy, and when I start addressing one person, the other one just pops up, man. They're just going, oh, yeah, preach it, Pastor. Oh, yeah, come on now. That's right. She needs to. Oh, yes. And then when I say, now, okay, let me talk to you a minute. Oh, and then it turns. Okay. And they, you can tell many times they just shut their ears off. I don't want to hear that. I just wanted to hear what I wanted to hear. It's the truth with the word of God. Everyone say, hear the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. Number two is read the word. You know, one of my biggest hiccups in my discipleship process is just reading the word. Because I'm, I'm usually preparing for at least two messages a week. And so a lot of my time is spent studying the Word. We'll talk about that. But uh, uh, my biggest hiccup in my devotional is just taking time to just read the Word. Let me just say, anybody got a smartphone in this house? If you haven't downloaded one of the Bible programs, my, one, my favorite is, uh, the one I use is uh, Uversion. Uversion. <laughs> I'm telling you, pack, loaded, chock full of great all ver- all the versions and paraphrases and quick word. I mean, just, ooh, and you can read the word anywhere on planet Earth. Uh, so a lot of ways to do that. <coughs> so we've got to read the word. Everyone say read the word. Number three, study the word. Everyone say study the word. Oh, there's a lot of verses here that talk about study. And Paul said, study to show yourself approved unto God. Uh, let me see if I have time. I'm going to do this real quick. Show me that. Show me the website, BibleStudyTools.com. Uh, there's probably plenty of these things. And, and I'm going to have to look close. He looked up Philippians 2, verse 1 right there. New King James Version. But you can change versions. Uh, you can look up a hundred. Look at all those versions and paraphrases. Wow. Everybody go, wow. I mean, right, I mean, just right there. Here's another cool part. Uh, there's footnotes. There's cross-references. But look here, study tools. Look at all those commentaries. Look at the People's New Testament. Go, go, no, go to John Darby's synopsis of the New Testament. Look at that. Just click that. Philippians 2. Boom. And all of a sudden, we find out what John Darby said about that chapter and verse. And it, oh, and just on and on and on. I'm telling you, at your finger. T- look at that. Look, look. Oh, my gosh. That's just one. Pastor, where's that, where's that verse on divorce? Do you have the internet? Yeah, I'm talking to you on my smartphone. Look it up. Look at this. It's just, 
I mean, that's one verse, and that's one, I'm telling you, it's just packed. There's, and that's just one website. There's resources out there to study the Word of God. Everyone say, study the Word. Okay, there you go. And then we go, let's see, we can go away from that. This is a great, I, and I have, ver, I have barely tapped that resource, that BibleStudyTools.com. And I told you about eSword uh, is a great thing to download on you. It's, a, it's a, also another study tool uh, that you can download too e-sword.com I think uh, another t- just all kinds of things everyone say remember the word as we're talking about assimilating God's word in our heart uh, Psalm 119 11 says thy word I have hidden in my heart and we need to learn to remember I told you about John 8 31 32 that'd be a great one to memorize to remember amen Remember the word. Let it become like, you know what? Much of my preaching, I put it on paper, but let me tell you, the spontaneity of my life comes out of, of the things that I remember. Uh, and, and in fact, let me just tell you, when I preach, uh, before I teach, and really on Sunday, a lot of times before I preach on Sunday, a couple of times on Sunday morning, I'll just sit in my chair and, and preach it. I don't do it very loud, but I'm just in my mind. And you know what happens while I'm doing that? Things that I remember pop up and illustrations and verses and things that I went, wow, where was that when I prepared it? It just comes out of memory. Why? Because in my life, over the course of my life, there are some things I have assimilated into my life. It's called memory, memorizing the Word of God. Uh, and I'm getting worse at it by the second. Uh, uh, you know, I can't remember where's my this or that, but I'm but it's important to keep our brain sharp by studying the word and remembering the word. And then number five, meditating on the word. Write that one, that one down. Thinking, pondering. Uh, in fact, David said in Psalm 119, 97, he said, it is my meditation all day long. Now, when you hear the word meditation, don't think about a white sheet and, and putting your knees up by your ears and going home. That's not what meditation is. It's about, it's about pondering, thinking, uh, just chewing on the Word of God over and over in different ways, thinking, letting it, because it is alive and it is food and it will, it will, it will do great things in your life. Take John 8, 31 and 32 and, and, and memorize it and meditate on it. So, hey, if we're going to be transformed by truth, that's what we're talking about, becoming more like Christ, we've got to let the Word of God set up residence in our heart we must accept its authority. We must assimilate its truth into our life. And the third thing, uh, we must apply its principles in day-to-day living. Put it to work in our life. Not just to know the Word. In fact, James 1.21, he says this, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Everyone say, doers of the Word. Remember Matthew 7, what Jesus talked about, those who built their life upon the Word of God and obeying the truth of God's Word. They, that was like they built their life upon the rock. And when the winds came and the storms come, and they do, the house stands because it was built upon the rock in obeying God's Word, not just, not just quoting it even, but applying it into day-to-day living. And I'm going to live my life based upon what? The Bible says. I'm going to live according to its principles uh, and, and appropriate those principles into my life. So, so, hey, transformed by truth. We're transformed by accepting its final authority in our life, by assimilating a, a, it into our life in many different ways, and, and then by applying its principles in our life, it will transform your life. 
It's, and that's what, what's what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Now, let me give you three more quickly. Uh, he gives these in probably entire chapters. They're, I kind of tweaked them a little bit, uh, and I'm just going to give you one-liners. We're not only transformed by truth, but we're also transformed by trouble. Oh, no, that's trouble. It's messed me up. It's transformed. Romans 8, we read 29 in, in a different version. But Romans 8, 28 says, And we know, that's something you've learned by meditating on the Word of God, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. That is a, that's packed full of truth. In other words, people who are plugging into the promises of God, who love God and are walking according to God's predetermined purposes for their life, whatever trouble they go through. And how many of you know in the life you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have trouble? How many of you don't, you want to claim that today? I'm claiming trouble for Jesus. Hey, it just comes. Trouble cometh. Everyone say trouble cometh. Trouble comes. And trouble, if we understand God and His Word and, and embrace His truth in our life, this trouble will transform us and make us more like Christ rather than harm us and hurt us. And, and, and as a maturing Christian, how many of you know Paul understood this? He's in jail. He's in prison. And I'm telling you, he's probably not getting three squares. He doesn't have internet and, and ESPN and big screen TVs and basketball goals and hoops and all the things. you know, got to keep those prisoners healthy, uh, right? He doesn't have all that. Uh, not that we shouldn't. I'm just saying Paul didn't have it. And you know what Paul said about it? He said, you know what? This is actually working out pretty good. It's actually this, this trouble I'm going through is actually working out for God's greater good. What a revelation. Made him more like Christ. Not only does... The truth of God's word transforms us, but trouble transforms us. The troubles we go through. And it doesn't say all trouble's good, does it? How many of you know a lot of trouble just not any good? You have somebody hurt you bad. That's not good. God didn't look down from heaven and anoint someone to slap you and, you, and say, well, that was good. That's not good. That's just somebody being ugly. That's trouble. But to those who love God and embrace the call of God for them, all things work together for good, he'll take your trouble and, and transform it into something good that will benefit you and benefit those around you. Amen? We're transformed by trouble. Another thing that transforms us and makes us more like Christ, if we'll allow it, is testing Life is a test, and trouble could be a test, but, uh, you know, from kind of a different, uh, you know, you could call it a trial or a test. You know, a trouble could be a trial uh, or a tribulation, uh, but there's other things that are tests to us. In James 1, verse 2, it says uh, that uh, we ought to count it joy. I think that's what it says. Let me just read it, because the tests we go through... My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
And let patience have its perfect work uh, that you may be perfect or, and complete. That means mature. There you go. Becoming more like Christ. Uh, becoming uh, more mature. Complete. Lacking in nothing. In other words, God will use your trouble and he will test you. And really the test is to see if you're growing and becoming more and more like him. The testing of your faith produces patience. It produces positive character of Christ within you. You get it? Everybody say, you got it? I got it? Look at your neighbor and say, you getting it? You got it? Okay, here we go. Let me give you one more. And this is a little different. We're transformed by temptation. How many of you know James? And if you're over in James, you'll know that God doesn't tempt anyone. But it's how we deal with the temptation that helps us become more and more like Christ. In fact, if you went to G, you looked at the life of Jesus how many of you know he went to the wilderness for, was it 40 days? And there he was tempted by the devil. He's fasting and praying, tempted by the devil. In every stance, in every way, he overcame the temptations. But uh, verse 11, oh, no, verse 12 of James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so there's reward. And so God, will, God allows us to be tempted, Right? How many of you know if if God didn't allow us to be tempted, there would be no issue with sin? He allows us to be tempted. And why does he allow us to be tempted? Well, uh, I believe, number one, is so we can, it can, in a sense as well, be a test in our life. And so we can become more and more victorious over the enemy by our right choices uh, uh, with the temptations. And as a result, become more and more like him. Transformed into a beautiful representation of the person of Christ. Amen? That's what God's working in us. And you know what? I think a bit of the cop-out is with me many times might be, well, it's never going to fully happen until I meet Jesus. And as a result, I just kind of, well, you know, it'll happen, but I'm going to have to meet him first. But you know what? We've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We've got to process life a little bit. My dear friend, Sonny Canancer, he's a couple, three years older than me, long-term friend. He, he was here for our man church last year, and he and his wife have been a part of our lives. He is a studier and a reader. He, just, he, he outshines me by miles. And uh, he's, a, he's a really a motivator in my life. And so, you know, he'll... he'll Text me, have you read this book? Oh, no, no, I hadn't read that book yet. Well, have you read this? Look at this. You know, he's, and so I try to do that to him some just to make him think I'm getting better. But uh, he's a real inspiration to me because he's got a plan in his life to be more and more like Christ. And as pastors and preachers, many times, or let me just say as husbands or as wives or as business people or whatever, Well, my plan is this. I've got to accomplish this. I've got to accomplish that. Those are all good, positive. Uh, But how about our spiritual life becoming more like him? We're created by God to be like him. We've got to cooperate. Put off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. So I encourage you this week, this month, this year to put together a plan of action for your spiritual life and becoming more like Him.
and embrace His Word in your life. Let the Word of God transform you. That's a great place to start. You know, troubles and trials and testings, they just come. But the Word of God's not just going to come. In fact, if you want to pass the test of trouble and the test of, of your faith and, and overcome temptation, you've got to be transformed by His Word. What did Jesus say in the wilderness? It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He knew the Word. Amen. Let's stand together.